Uh, kids today have a tendency to believe what people say, uh, but you know, for whatever reason, we adults are a little more skeptical. There was a study done uh, by the University of Virginia in 2010 uh, about three-year-olds. And the more I was reading about this study, the more I thought about mine when they were certain ages. And so like my son Grayson, when he was, when he was like three, which didn't seem like it was too long ago, but it's like four years ago, when he was three, uh, I loved it. Like I would do sleight of hand with him. I don't know how many of y'all ever played sleight of hand with your kid. And so I would put, we had like a car's helmet. I don't know why it was a car's helmet because none of the cars were, were helmets because they're cars. Anyway, but I'd put something underneath it, but I would make it to where he didn't see that I had something underneath it. And so when I'd lift up the helmet, all of a sudden, wow. And I was like, isn't that neat? Now say abracadabra and he'd say whatever it was that kids say at three and he can't say, he couldn't talk like most three-year-olds. And so I would put my hand over it and then I would remove it and like, oh, where did it go? And I'd show him like, I don't know where it is. Slide of hand. It's kind of neat the way that works. Um, my daughter, Allie, I don't, she might have started before she was three. She would eat whatever was in our hand. Like whatever it was that was in our hand, like tomatoes. My kids don't normally eat healthy. They like chicken nuggets. They like chicken nuggets. Uh, they like mac and cheese, sometimes pizza and chicken nuggets. And so that's their four major food groups. So anyway, Allie though, whatever was in our hand, like she saw tomatoes and she's like, I want those. Okay. Before she could even talk, she wanted tomatoes. Okay, that's good. I don't know if it's good for you. Like you can't even talk, like you don't have teeth, but okay, here you go. Broccoli, like last night I ordered some broccoli as a side with my, with my, with my protein and, and she loves eating the trees, the little trees. Now, when I was a kid, I used to try to hype myself up thinking, oh, I'm more powerful because these are little trees, but it never worked. I didn't like broccoli as a kid, but she loves eating whatever's in our hand. Chloe, for whatever reason, when it, when it's, when it's something in our hand that we, you do this and you get this from us or one of our punishments. And so you as parents know this, one of, you, one of the punishments is you, you mess up, you have to give us back place in our hands. Like for example, her phone, she, it's like, it cripples her, paralyzes her. Ah, oh, my phone. And she just falls to the ground. Whatever it is that's in our hands, they just love, October 2010, University of Virginia, the three-year-olds, they did two studies. Um, in the first study, the first set of three-year-olds overheard from the researchers where a sticker was placed in the room. They overheard it. And the researcher would then go and put an arrow in the wrong corner to where the sticker was supposed to be. The kids that overheard where it was were still misled. But the ones who um, saw the arrow being placed in the wrong spot, the ones who saw that were quicker to say, you know, this is wrong, and they would go to a different corner. There was another, there was another study in, in, in that journal, another, another test, I guess you should say, where they both saw and they heard from the researcher where the sticker was going to be. And you love kids. Three-year-olds love stickers. My, my three-year-old like has stickers everywhere. She put it on the door the other day. I'm like, you need to get off before mom comes home. In study number two, if they saw and they heard where the sticker was going to be, they were more likely 
misled than those that just heard. The point is this, three-year-olds have a bias or they're wired to trust what they are told, especially if they see it. They're wired to trust what they're told, especially, especially if they see it. It kind of reminds me like Jesus told us to have childlike faith, right? And it's the main reason why is because they have, kids have this childlike faith where they just believe anything that's in, that's given to them, anything that's in an adult's hand, they'll believe it. But at some point, we begin to get skeptical. And that's good. It's good to ask questions. Because it allows us to, to, to judge things that are safe or things that are not safe. But sometimes it's to our detriment. Because if we're not careful, we'll let unanswered questions consume our will to believe. Causing us to sever our connection to any truth because we can't see what's in one hand. As we start to doubt these questions that are left unanswered, it consumes us and we just don't believe it all. And that's how doubt creeps in. We have questions that are unanswered and it's usually, it's usually a breakdown in communication. That's usually what the, the main problem is. And you can find it anywhere. It's a lack of belief. Jesus knows how easy it is to get to that point even before he begins his ministry. Even before, we find that in the book of Matthew, even before Jesus begins his ministry, he is, the enemy comes at him with questions and trying to put seeds of doubt into Jesus, the Son of God. He's like, you know what? If you really had all the power in the world, you could say to this bread, you could say to these rocks, turn into bread. I'm like, there you go. Or you could have all this land that, you know, they could have all of it. And he's putting questions and doubts and, into the mind of Jesus. Don't trust. Jesus, don't trust, don't believe, don't, don't believe God, believe me. The enemy is so slick. We have an account of Jesus dealing with our struggle to believe, dealing with our skepticism, John chapter 20. And that's what Trey read earlier today. But instead of chastising, he calmly invites us to test it for ourselves. Jesus knows that we're gonna have questions and he knows we're gonna have doubts. Instead of chastising us, guys, do you not realize I just died and I just rose again? Why do you not believe? Like he, instead of doing that, which is what I would have done, and I probably would have done it passive aggressively or I would have done it, you know, mocking their, their intellect or whatnot, because that's usually what I do. But you know that. Jesus invites their questions and he invites their doubt. Jesus lovingly allows our doubts, the doubts which cause us shame, because he's God over those two. I'm gonna say this twice, our doubts don't scare Jesus. Like our doubts don't scare Jesus. And how many of us need to hear that today? Our doubts, our question marks, the big questions in our head right now, like those don't scare Jesus. John chapter 20, we're gonna be verses 24 to 29, but Thomas, called twin, one of the 12, was not with them, the other disciples, when Jesus came. This is the last week we looked at the third appearance of Jesus to the disciples. Uh, when we looked at Peter and they were fishing and then Jesus made them breakfast. Well, now we're, we're going backwards and we're looking at the second account. But really, we're kind of looking at the first one because the first time, Thomas wasn't with them. Clearly, it says that, look at verse 24, but Thomas, let's talk about Thomas for a moment. 
What do we believe about Thomas? Here's some trivia for you. Thomas is the 11th disciple mentioned in the list of 12 disciples. So if you're ever on trivia night, Wednesday nights, or wherever you go play trivia, Thomas is the 11th disciple, Mark chapter 3, verse 18, Matthew chapter 10, verse 4. We find that Thomas is listed number 11. Thomas asks questions like we would. He asks questions like the same kind of questions that we would. John chapter 14. I want to read just a couple of these a few pages earlier. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Uh, 1 through 5. Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Y'all have heard this at funerals. I mean, I preach this at funerals. I, I say this often, like this is a, a core tenet of what we believe in Christianity is this right here. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am you may be also. You know the way. You know the way to where I'm going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. Isn't that us all the time? We're asking God, I don't know where you go. I don't know what you, what's my next step, God? I don't know. So he says exactly what we would say. How can we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way. Jesus, I don't know the way. No, duh. I am the way. Like literally, the very next verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this is only one story of Thomas. There's, there's only a couple mentions of Thomas besides John chapter 20. But this is only one mention right here. It tells me this. And some of you need to know this right now, whether you're right here, sitting in person, or if you're listening online. Everybody matters in the story of God. And your belief has bigger ramifications than you'll ever know. Here it was, Thomas is only mentioned two other times like that he was involved in some sort of scenario besides being a part of a list. He's mentioned only two other times in the New Testament. And a lot of people don't talk about Thomas too much. But man, everybody matters in the story of God. You matter in the story of God. Sometimes we feel small and insignificant. Maybe we feel like, oh, I don't have a lot to contribute to life, to the story of God, to, to people around me. Like I'm not, James, even my faith, like it just doesn't, it's not like that guy's faith or that lady's faith or this person or whatever. I don't know enough. I don't. Well, what's the other story? I said there was two, right? The other story, John chapter 11. A couple pages earlier, John chapter 11, verse 16, there's a story of Lazarus, and he was one of Jesus' friends, and Lazarus, uh, his family comes to Jesus, and say, hey, he's sick, and Jesus is like, well, I got, I'll, be, I'll be right there, I got a couple more things to do. How many of us as parents, we do that all the time, like, hey, I'll be right there, and then by the time you get there, because you had to do something else first, put on another fire, you get there, and then there's another one, you're like, oh my gosh, I should have gone there, whatever. That happens to Lazarus. Lazarus is dead. And so that's kind of the story here. John chapter 11, verse 16. Jesus says in verse 14, he says, Lazarus has died. And I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so you may believe. I'm glad I wasn't there to save him. That you may believe. But let's go to him. Then Thomas, called Twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too, so that we may die with him. 
And he's talking about Jesus here. Because Jesus, Jesus had mentioned that. It says there, verse 13, Jesus, however, was speaking about his death. But they, they thought that he was only talking about natural sleep. So said, no, 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 I'm, I'm talking about something you don't even understand. Like Jesus had always kind of dropped these cherry, you know, like these, these little breadcrumbs about, I'm not going to be here too long. And they just didn't know it. So I love it because Thomas here in this little spot reveals his obedience and his loyalty there in verse 16 by saying, let us go and die with you, Jesus. Let us go. I want to be obedient, but let us die with you, Jesus, because he wants to. He's loyal. You matter. I just want to say that emphatically. You matter. In the story of God, you matter. Your story matters. Your, your name matters. You notice that in those two stories that it, ta- it mentions Thomas called the twin, right? Both the Greek and, and the Aramaic, like those are both his Greek and his Aramaic names that are mentioned in those two, those two accounts. You know, the extra biblical books that we don't really read or preach about, there's a, there's a bunch of historical stuff that was, also, that was also written in those times. He was always mentioned as Judas Thomas. And it's kind of very similar to that John chapter 14 reference. And there was a whole region of Christians in the first century that called him, that called him Judas Thomas. Like called him by a name, like, like this is your specific name. Your story, your, your, your story of belief matters because God is writing it. You matter because God's image is in you. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, like God put his image in you, and so we all matter. Everyone on this planet matters because we have the image of God inside of us. Our story matters because it says that Jesus is the author of life. And then our name matters because Jesus, oh, I love this. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. Now this is what the Lord says, the one who created you, Jacob, the one who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you, I have called you by your name. You're mine. Your name matters because Jesus knows it. So like if anything else this morning, like you, you matter, your name matters, your story matters, and your doubts don't scare Jesus. So now that we've gone through the first part of verse 24, but Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. Verse 25, so the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. You know, we need friends that will scream at us about faith in Christ. We need those friends. Like, I know I wasn't screaming there. Part of it's because the microphone's right underneath my chin. And you look at her, but like, I'm immediately thinking about you. We need friends. I'm talking about Dr. Gill for those that are listening here. Like you're going to be famous on, on our podcast. You actually, I wrote your name in my, in my notes. We need friends who have said, we've seen the Lord. Why? Because you won't make it in life without friends who speak Jesus' name to you. Like, 
how did they know that they'd spent time with Jesus? That they'd seen Jesus? Because they spent a lot, a lot, a lot of time with him. A lot of time. And like Jesus appeared to them, verses, verses 19 to 23, like Jesus appeared to them. Your application is that today I want you to find a Jesus-following friend. If you don't have one already, like if you're listening to this, I want you to find a Jesus-following friend. You need a Jesus-following friend. You need someone that's going to scream at you and tell you, hey, I've seen Jesus. What? That's weird. Well, it's because I've spent a lot of time with him. And I, I, can, I can see him in every scene of life. I, can, I talked to a guy just yesterday who was grieving the, the loss of his his loved one, and he was talking about how he sees his loved one everywhere he goes. Why? Because they, he spent 58 years with that person. And like, we need that kind of relationship with Jesus, or that friend who has that relationship with Jesus, that they spend so much time with him that, hey, you know, I saw Jesus, wor I saw Jesus working and playing here at the, the new cafe in town. I saw Jesus like in the, in the medical professionals and how they're extending compassion and care and mercy. I saw Jesus Lord Jesus, I saw him working at the elementary schools because like some of you have got one week left and I saw patience and peace that I've never seen before and I saw that at the elementary school working. Like we need, to, we need people that see Jesus in every scene of life and how, they, how do they see Jesus? Because they've spent so much time with him. So your application, number one, is that you need to find a friend that spends a lot of time with Jesus. If you don't have one of those, find one. There's several here in this room. You probably know some of them invite like reach out to them on facebook shoot them a message on messenger send them a text message give them a phone call that still works by the way give them a phone call and say hey i want to do coffee with you this week well that's easy james i don't drink coffee well number one you're a sinner number two say okay i want to drink water with you this week or tea or coke zero or juice or whatever it is that you're doing nowadays i don't know what the kids are doing I want to spend some time with you. I want to take you to lunch. I want to take you to breakfast. I want to pick your brain. I want to learn more of, of what you... And some of us, we're, maybe we're like, hey, James, I've spent a lot of time with Jesus. Okay, so that's the second part. Not only do we need to find that friend that will scream Jesus at us, but we need to be that friend that will scream Jesus at us. And that's where I wrote your name down. Because Angela Gill, I shouldn't have mentioned your name, sorry, Dr. Gill, for years she screamed Jesus at people, at her kids, like they know it ad nauseum. One of them finally gave up. It's like, fine, I'll be a minister. Thanks, mom. Like she screams Jesus at people and it leads them into a spot where I don't know if I believe, but I believe now because you screamed Jesus at me for so long. Amen? Amen. I had a patient I went and saw recently and their kid uh, had issues. I had to go into some rehab and, and whatnot. From everything that my patient told me, this, this kid of theirs, this adult child of theirs, was not in a spot where um, their faith was strong at all. And I went in recently to go see this patient, and it was amazing. I, I went in, and I'm talking to the, the, the caregiver. The caregiver's about to leave and go do a little thing, and I go, and I turn around, and the caregiver's like, but this, this kid is going to stay... Uh, while I'm gone, in case the patient needs anything. I said, okay. And I look over there, and this, this kid, this adult kid around my age, has uh, a book open, and it looks like a Christian workbook. 
And the reason why I know what a Christian workbook looks like is like I've seen a lot of them in my time. Some of them are great. Some of them are just... And so I've seen a lot of Christian workbooks out there. And I'm like, that's, that's not something that you'd buy at a normal bookstore. And that's not, you know, about a historical thing. That's, that's a Christian workbook. And so I said that in my brain. And then I see that this person also has another book, which looks like a little devotional book. And in my brain, all of a sudden, I'm trying to compute. I'm like, this doesn't make sense because this person wasn't supposed to be somebody that spends time with Jesus, from what I've heard. And so I said, hey, what do you got there? And this person was like, I've got this, and I've got this, and showed me the author, and showed me, I'm like, wow, you got some good stuff there. I'm proud of you. Keep on plugging in. We need those friends that will scream at us, but we need to be those friends that will scream also. And that means spending a lot of time, a lot of time with Jesus. For some of us, it means... Well, I'm not going to go into that. You need to, we, we all need to spend a lot of time with Jesus. Have we made it through verse 25 yet? We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Thomas says, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the mark of the nails, that's weird, but he's, that's, that's him. He needs to see it. And put my hand into his side, I will never believe. You know, optical illusions weren't that unheard of back then because seeing is one thing, but he wanted to feel it for himself. How many of us need to feel something of Jesus before we believe? I'm not talking about the warmth or the goosebumps or the warm fuzzies or some sort of weird supernatural feeling. We don't, no, I'm not talking about feeling that. How many of us, before we believed in Christ, did we need to feel joy? or that peace that passes understanding, that unspeakable joy, that peace that passes understanding, or, or that comfort that only comes from, from someone taking the entire weight of the world off of our shoulders. And we needed to feel that before we said, I'll believe, because I've never experienced that before in my life. And that's just like us. We needed to feel those marks. I love what Scripture says here, that Thomas says, Unless I do this, I will never believe. And then we get verse 26, a week later. Like it's not resolved. It is not resolved there. It's not a friend who's screaming at Jesus like, well, let me tell you about, like I know you want to feel it and I know you need to like, feel the marks, but let me, let me just tell you a bunch of words. Like We don't get that here. It's left unresolved. And it happens seven days later. You, what did Thomas need? That your friends need. They need someone to care that will walk with them in this journey of believing Jesus. James, you just said we need to scream at them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They need to be able to tell that you've walked with Jesus. They need to. But it's so neat that the friends didn't say, no, no, but really, like we saw the, the nail marks and we saw that, like they didn't go through any of that stuff. They just walked with him. And then seven days later, as they were continuing to journey through life together, that's when Jesus decided to show up a third time, second time, and do something amazing in his life. Here's your application. You have a great opportunity this Memorial Day weekend. Huge opportunity with family and friends to just be with them and to be the type of person 
that has spent time with Jesus and you're influencing all those people around you. July 4th is coming up, another month and a half or so. I can't math it too well, but it's coming up in a couple more calendar months. I remember July 4th, so I went to Portugal twice, and both times it was over the July 4th holiday, and it's so cool because Portuguese people aren't going to celebrate July 4th. Why would they? They're Portuguese. But our missionaries did, and they used that as an opportunity because the Portuguese people were curious about, um, they were curious about American stuff, American traditions, American rituals, American holidays. And so what's so big about, and so they would do a July 4th holiday. So cool. And so uh, they, they would break out the cornhole and they would break out, they broke out badminton, which I was a little bit better at badminton in, in Portugal than I've ever been over here in the States. It's kind of, so I should probably go back and I could become a professional there. Um, was terrible at soccer, football, but they, we had, we grilled out hot dogs, which is hard to get there in Portugal, but we did, and hamburgers and American stuff. And all the Portuguese people, their neighbors, some folks from the cafe that we'd been ministering to, it was so neat that we were able to just journey with them in this and use that as an opportunity to shine a light. So much so that the cafe owners, that first year after we left, they started letting in the missionaries to do Bible study there at their cafe. And they said explicitly to the, cafe, uh, to the uh, missionaries, they said, I don't know what happened, but we saw something different, kind of like a ray of hope or some light from, from these groups that you've been bringing in that we've never experienced before in our lives. And so we want you to use our cafe to do your Bible studies. And now they've got their own church. Like the whole goal for them was to start a church in a very, I mean, you have what, 1.4 million people in Port 2 and you had four evangelical churches that teach Jesus. So you have maybe 200 people tops in about 1.4 million people knowing about the risen Jesus Christ and trusting in him. And so they want to plug away and plug away and plug away. And that's why we're praying for Jacob and for Kara. That's why we're continuing to pray for this church plant, Oasis, there in Portugal, in Porto, because we want to see the gospel spread. And it's easier to spread sometimes in those events. So, this weekend, use that as an opportunity to, to just journey with people. And as you spend more time with Jesus and you journey with these people, they'll know that you care and they'll be more apt to listen to you when they have those questions and those doubts. Kind of like Thomas did. Verse 26, finally, verse 26, 27 minutes in. A week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them. Praise the Lord. Even the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, I love it. It's like the doors were locked. Thomas was finally in a place ready to believe in the risen Jesus. Like he couldn't manufacture it. It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to go to this church service. I'm going to go, I'm going to, go to this church event. Or I'm going to read enough books. Or I'm going to hear enough podcasts. And I'm going to hear about this Jesus. And I'm going to make myself believe. He, he couldn't manufacture it. All we know is like what scripture tells us that the doors were locked. And he was in an environment after having journeyed with these people who'd seen the risen Jesus. He was in an environment now to hear from Jesus himself. We can't control how Jesus reaches us, but we can be in the right position to hear from him. 
You know, it might seem like it's a little easier to find Jesus at a passion worship service in Jerusalem than it is on a beach drinking. I was in, I was in Jerusalem at a passion worship service that was mainly for, you know, folks that knew who passion were uh, or are. But that night, some Israeli students at that college heard the commotion going on outside because it was kind of loud. And they came down and they heard the message of Jesus for the first time. And they trusted Jesus that night. Oh, James, that's a good story. That's a good story. I had a friend. This is not the norm. I had a friend on a beach drinking about 15, 15, 15 or 20 years ago. And that is not usually where you hear from Jesus on a beach drinking. Although Peter was on a beach, uh, he wasn't drinking. But there was a song that came on the radio, a song from a band. They're kind of an older band called Third Day. And the song was just to be with you. I would do anything. And you think it's a song about us singing it to Jesus Christ, but really it's a song that turns towards the end about how God has done anything to be with us by sending Jesus Christ for us. And my friend, in whatever was going on, he was in a spot isolated where he could hear the message of Jesus plain as day that God sent his son Jesus for him. And so he trusted Christ that night. And I'll never forget that to this day. I remember I was working in sporting goods at Sears when he told me his, his testimony. I'm like, dude, that's crazy. I don't have a good memory, but I'll remember that forever. And so far I have. So it's just testimony to God's work in my brain. It's easier to find Jesus at Bible study at Burger King than scrolling it through Facebook. And so I, I just want to say, like, we've got to be and, and this preaching to the choir here, and maybe those that are listening, maybe someone shared this, maybe you'll share this with someone that needs to hear, it is easier to find Jesus at a Bible study in Burger King than it is while they're just scrolling Facebook. I don't know of too many conversions personally. I don't know of any conversions personally where someone trusted Jesus like, wow, that meme, that got me right here in the heart. Like that cat screaming, no, it's Jesus. Like that really got me. I don't know of any of those stories. They could happen. Especially, you know, you know, like if you love Jesus or, or scroll on if you like the devil. Like, I hate those. I hate those. And if any of y'all have done those, and I don't think you have, but if any of y'all have done those, like, just repent. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I love you anyway. I love you anyway. Repent. So the question is, what do you personally do to help you be in a better position to believe Jesus? It's, for some of us, it's like we need to be in a better position with our music. Some of you, it doesn't, it doesn't phase you, okay? Some of you, it's like we need to be in a better position in life, like a better location. Because like being at a bar might not be the easiest place. It could happen. Might not be the easiest place. Being on Facebook all day, every day, probably could happen. Might not be the easiest. Mindlessly watching TV for hours and hours and hours might be a place where Jesus could reach you, but probably, probably not the best. Like where is our location? What is the music that we're listening to? What are we putting into our brain? What kind of content? Are we looking at Facebook? Are we looking at Bible study stuff? I want you to put yourself in a position to hear from Jesus because if you don't, what if you miss Him saying what you so desperately need to hear? Like if we get into a spot where we are not in a good position to hear from Jesus, what if we miss what we need to hear Him say about our marriage, about our friendships? about our relationships, about our work, about maybe a financial question, how to parent, how to grandparent, how to, how to live and navigate through grief. What if we miss it? So Jesus says, peace be with you.
Then he said to Thomas, he looks at him and he says, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Then he says, don't be faithless, but believe. Jesus knew the marks that Thomas needed to see. Jesus like knew his questions. Jesus knew his doubts. I want to remind you that your doubts don't scare Jesus. Because in, instead of Jesus saying, hey, let's talk about this for a minute. He says, hey, I know what questions you've got. Go on and try me. Try me. I dare you. See if it's real. I might even make it a little weird for you. No, that's just me. Jesus wouldn't make it weird. He's like, I want you to test it. Try it out. Jesus welcomes our questions and our doubts and the marks that we need to see. And he addresses them. Thomas, here's what's cool. Look at the, look at the scripture. Thomas doesn't even touch him. Verse 28. Here's his response. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. He, he had to know, he had to figure out like there's no way that Jesus knows this because he knows exactly what I needed to hear, exactly what I wanted to see. Like he knows everything and it had to do with what was in my hands and what was in his hands and like he knew everything. I love it that he says, my Lord and my God. Right there at the very end of the book of John, he talks about that the word was God. And John starts John chapter 1 by saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It's like John puts together, it's so beautiful how he does this, because Jesus did it himself. Like the, He puts together, like, hey, I'm going to let you know, that you need to believe that Jesus is the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then at the very end of the book of John, we're going to find Thomas, who had questions just like we do. And now Thomas is going to say, you, like Jesus is the Word, and the Word was God. Puts it there together beautifully. So verse 29, it's the last beatitude that Jesus speaks. He says, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed or happy are those who have not seen and yet believe." Jesus has a message for everyone. You know, Paul captures it better in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, and we'll close. Paul says, So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. We need to share the message. We need to hold it in our hands. Let's share it so that others can believe. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for today. We thank you for your last words to us, but we are thankful that through your word, your living word that is active, God, that it gets to our heart every time that we are so grateful, Jesus, that you continue to show us more about life through your word. And Jesus, we thank you that you are the word. We thank you that you've helped us to believe, but Jesus, help us share your message of hope and truth to other people. It's in your name we pray. Amen.